Welcome to the Duck Pod. I'm Ryan Thorburn. It's been a minute. 220 interrupted this podcast and many, many other things about our lives. And I'm happy to say that we are finally back on the air, so to speak, uh, because Oregon football is back this Saturday, number 12 Ducks versus Stanford at Autzen Stadium. I'm knocking on wood as we speak that uh, into existence, but uh, joined once again by a special guest, Ken Woody, the former duck, the uh, registered guards online scribe. Ken, how are you doing, man? Are you hanging in there? I am. I am. I just, uh, we need to get this game going so it can't be canceled. Exactly. Uh, we're taping this on Thursday and the Cal Washington game, and those are the two primary challengers to the Ducks, in my view, has been declared a no contest. Too many bears with COVID-19 or contact tracing quarantines. So uh, rough start for the Pac-12. We have one no contest and no kickoffs yet. <laughs> so Ken, let's, uh, let's talk about the offseason a little bit first. Obviously, uh, the last time we saw the Ducks play was on New Year's Day. They beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl to cap a 12-2 season with a Pac-12 championship and a top five ranking. Of course, Justin Herbert, Shane Lemieux, uh, and an army of guys are gone now. Uh, they've had Javon Holland, uh, Panay Sewell, Brady Breeze, Thomas Graham opt out of this season to focus on the NFL. But they still have a lot of talent on this roster. Mario Cristobal and his staff have recruited well so they can reload, and that's what they're going to have to do this year. Uh, just your thoughts on the offseason with uh, COVID also interrupting their preparations. Well, you know, somebody wrote an article early on that the pandemic was made for coaches like Mario Cristobal because of his relentless work ethic and the fact that um, – little things are not going to deter him from uh, staying on point. And I, as far as we can tell, that's been the case. I, I will say uh, this, Ryan, I have never been on the cusp of a season knowing so little about the team and their opponent. It's just, uh, it's, it's a crapshoot. Uh, we know the Ducks have a lot of talent. We've read that about the recruiting uh, services and so on, but how well that talent can play with not a lot of practice is really kind of the, the burning question. Yeah, obviously Tyler Shuck has been the understudy to Herbert the last couple of seasons. He was considered to be the, the heavy favorite to be the quarterback, uh, but we didn't get to see the spring game where I think he could have really separated himself. And they go ahead and bring in Anthony Brown, the graduate transfer from Boston College a dual threat guy with a lot of experience playing power five football. And personally, I still think Tyler will be the starting quarterback for the ducks, but Mario Cristobal said, why let David Shaw know that right now? So he has not named a starter uh, leaving the door open for Anthony Brown, but uh, uh, really interesting. I think it was a, a good move. And even Tyler says it to have Anthony come in and push Tyler and make that a real competition. But It'll be interesting to see how the post-Justin Herbert era gets started at quarterback. When, when Cristobal first went out and got uh, Anthony Brown, 
a lot of people were wondering why would you do this, but I think it's pretty easy when you consider the fact that, you know, Tyler Shock is, is just a sophomore and he's the graybeard of all the quarterbacks uh, within the program. So it's really good to have an experienced guy in the bullpen, so to speak, and good enough to start. Uh, Anthony uh, played well at Boston College. He had a great touchdown to interception ratio. And I think one reason why he may have ended up at Oregon is that Joe Moorhead would have been very aware of, of Anthony being the time that he spent back at Penn State. So he might have seen him at a, a quarterback camp uh, in high school, that sort of thing. But I think he's, he's built for this offense. He's coming off a injury and you always wonder how that's going to hold up. But uh, all things right now point to the fact that he's healthy and ready to go. One thing I think you and I debated on here last year, and I heard a lot of fans, readers complaining about was the fact that uh, Marcus Arroyo and, Mar and Mario Cristobal would not run Justin Herbert uh, really for the entirety of last season. You know, I, I understood their rationale if he gets hurt season over, but you know, they did run him in the Rose Bowl and at the start of the Pac-12 championship game, it was very effective. Uh, you know, he had three touchdowns on the ground in the Rose Bowl to, to make that comeback a reality. I think one thing Joe Moorhead, the new offensive coordinator, has said is whether it's Tyler or Anthony or anyone else, there will be more running of the quarterback. So you may need two guys to get through this season, even though it's abbreviated. Well, absolutely. The thing is, a lot of people cringe when they say the quarterback's going to run, but I mean, he's not going to run all the time, and you just choose those uh, situations wisely. And the Rose Bowl is down in, inside the 10-yard line, 15-yard line, uh, and, and that's a, the best time for a quarterback to run the ball is people are playing man-to-man. -man. They've got to uh, you know, kind of gear up for the inside run. I don't think there's any running team – in America that is a good enough running team that they can afford to not have their quarterback able to run it at least at critical junctures. And here's the other thing, having been involved in option football, a lot of places I coached, we used to say that, and I think this is true, a quarterback has a better chance of being hurt on a drop back pass with someone going into his legs that he can't see or getting hit from the blind side. A quarterback on the option can see the guy can pitch it, uh, you know, hopefully there's a guy there to pitch it to, and, and he can kind of cushion himself. So he, he's not going to be blindsided, and you don't want him running more than three to five, six times a game, and sometimes just the fact that you are willing and will do it is enough to keep the dogs off the uh, rest of the running backs. I wrote about it in today's Register Guard. Uh, check out registerguard.com. C.J. Verdell is a guy who run, has run the ball quite a bit in the last two seasons. He's the Pac-12's top returning runner. Um, Moorhead has raved about this guy, and Jim Mastro, the running back's coach, says he's the best he's coached in 31 years. Uh, Mastro, uh, one of the inventors or pioneers of the pistol offense. What do you think about C.J.? Because, you know, I think he's a terrific player, but they also have four or five guys behind him that can – have a lot of talent too. What do you think about this running game uh, in Joe Moorhead's system? Well, I think Verdell at the beginning of last year, I was uh, thinking that he was a good back, not a great back, but he really worked himself into a position where I really think that 
he's one of the elite running backs in the, the Pac-12, and he does it without imposing physical characteristics. He's only uh, about 200 to 210, and he's not a – I don't think he's over six feet, but he is really tough. Uh, and I think one thing that Moorhead would especially like about him is he's a good receiver coming out of the backfield. He's somebody who can run downfield and run a deep route as well. He's good in the screen game. He's also an excellent pass protection guy. And, you know, last year when we saw the Ducks run over UCLA, uh, uh, or USC, excuse me, SC had a running back who was really a good runner, but he could not block blitzing linebackers. And that really killed him. And to me, that was a a good example of why running backs today in the spread or the, the wide open game, they have to be able to confront and block a 230-pound linebacker who's coming in in a hurry with a nasty disposition. Now, obviously, you have Cyrus Habibi Lakia, who is a big guy. Uh, he's been the goal line guy primarily his last two seasons. Uh, Mastro said he does, has earned the right, quote, to be an every-down back. Uh, obviously, he's not going to be the every-down back with CJ back, but certainly his improvement – has to be encouraging for Oregon. And then you also have Travis Dye back, a guy who seems to do well at hitting it in the hole and seeing the hole. Uh, And then Sean Dollars, uh, you know, we didn't see a lot of him, but he's a, a, you know, a highly decorated recruit. And they have a true freshman who's, you know, looks like a Royce Freeman clone just on the height and weight they list him at. But uh, this is a deep group. And, uh, you know, couple that with the returning wide receiver core coming back and some really good tight ends. I think that'll help take pressure off Tyler or Anthony, won't it? That's right. And you just mentioned everybody but the offensive line. Well, we're going to get to that, but let's talk about the skill right now. Yeah. Uh, how do you like the skill of Oregon right now? I, I, I think it's better than it was at this time last year. We know a lot more about the receivers. They are not – they've got a, a, a couple uh, new guys who are big, the, the transfer from USC – uh, is an example of that. But the new receiver coach uh, last year, it's really impressed me with how he, he got more out of those guys than the previous receiver coach. Um, and that's been a big part of it to me is, is it, it was a group that had athletic ability, but they, you know, they just weren't consistent. And, uh, you know, Herbert got a, into a little bit of trouble favoring uh, you know, one per certain receiver. And I think last year he, he became very comfortable with the whole array. And I say those guys have done nothing but get better. And they're, they're a competitive group. Um, I, it's going to be interesting to see some of these uh, the new players to see how they can press the older players. Yeah. It, two years ago, you're talking about Dylan Mitchell. That's basically the only guy Justin would – trust the ball to be thrown to uh last year Javon Bonite was the wide receivers coach for whatever reason that was not a fit at Oregon I think he went to Kentucky somewhere like that um they bring in Brian McClendon and he uh left a lot of money on the table he was the offensive coordinator at South Carolina he was demoted as OC back just to receivers coach but he left a lot of money on the table to come out here and re- reinvent himself as the wide receivers coach. And he's been raved about by not just Mario, but the players and, and the other staffers. So uh, I think that's good news for Johnny Johnson, who had a nice resurgence last year, broke out of his sophomore slump. 
Uh, he's a guy who certainly put on some dazzling moves in the Pac-12 championship game against Utah. Veteran guy now. Uh, Micah Pittman, <clears throat> we saw flashes of what he can do, but he was obviously injury prone last year. And then Jalen Red, an interesting guy, you know, very productive in the slot, missed the Rose Bowl for undisclosed personal reasons. Uh, I imagine he's pretty motivated to make up for that. So <clears throat> a lot of experience there. And then at tight end, Hunter Campmoyer, very experienced. Spencer Webb, uh, nice body. We saw what he can do against Auburn. And then I'd like to see what Patrick Herbert can do, especially with Cam McCormick always, you know, on the mend from injuries. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really unfortunate. I'm looking at a, a depth chart here, and they have Cam McCormick, the second uh, tight end behind Camp Moyer. And I'm, I'm thinking, gee, I, I never thought I would, you know, see the day where his name would actually be on the depth chart. It's always been on, you know, the future – um, somebody who's trying to get, get back from a tough injury, and it will be a delight to see him at full speed, and I hope he is able to get to that, uh, get to that level and stay there. Yeah, I wouldn't expect McCormick against Stanford. It, it sounds like they're taking it slow with him, and, and that Webb has also been banged up in camp. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, they, they trust Camp Moyer, especially in the running game, uh, you know, he had a key drop in the Rose Bowl, but he's really worked on that. Spent a lot of time with Justin Herbert during the COVID catching passes before uh, Justin went down to Los Angeles. So I think Camp Moyer's definitely the guy, but I'd like to see Patrick Herbert get a shot to, to catch some passes. Uh, I think that could be fun. I, I agree. I would have liked to see him play a, a little bit last year and get a chance to catch a pass from uh, uh, his older brother. I mean, you know, it's like uh, Tyler Shuck was able to play in four games and still redshirt. And, they, you know, I think they could have done the same thing for Herbert. And being a Eugene guy, I think that was uh, been a real special moment for the, for the Herberts, but also for Duck fans. So, you think uh, they would have had some chemistry? <laughs> Only decades of uh, throwing it around in the backyard together. But anyway, yeah, missed opportunity there for sure. I, maybe Mario just didn't want to let our narrative play out that we would have liked to have seen that. But uh, who knows? I, I think Patrick's super talented. Maybe he'll uh, play with his brother in the, in the NFL someday. But uh, let's talk about that offensive line because with Panay Sewell opting out, all five starters from last year are gone. Uh, you know, Shane Lemieux made his first start with the Giants the other night. Calvin Throckmorton is also on an NFL roster. So is Jake Hansen. A lot of experience out the door there, but you know, you mentioned the recruiting earlier. This is an area where Cristobal has recruited well. It's his uh, position group. That's where his expertise lies. And, and Alex Mirabal also a very respected offensive line coach. So they say they have eight or nine guys ready that they think can play at a championship level. We just don't know which five will, you know, be out there against Stanford to start the game. Well, that's right. And I, my advice to the uh, Oregon fan is to keep track, uh, close uh, track of the offensive line. The one thing you're going to look for are, uh, you know, illegal procedures and holding penalties and things that, that uh, seem to happen with, more inexperienced players, players that 
And, you know, the thing is, uh, three linemen can be doing a great job, two not so good, and the whole thing can be a disaster. So um, I think it's going to be real interesting. And I would say last year against Stanford, the seasoned Oregon offensive line had a difficult time at times with pass stunts. And Herbert uh, was hit and fumbled a couple times, and had he not recovered those, that game might have been a lot different. So uh, that's something to look for. Um, the one thing Shuck uh, commented after a, uh, a scrimmage, I think it was in their preseason, was that the pass protection was really good. And that's, that's what you like to hear. Um, the, the, uh, run, the run blocking tends to be, it's just, well, it's teamwork. You've got to work together. And uh, there's combination blocks with all sorts of things going on, both the pass and the run. So I think that's going to be a real pivotal area. Now, Stanford... Um, it, it was interesting that they said they wanted their offense and defensive linemen to all gain weight this off season. And so the offensive line went from 295 to 310. Kind of surprised that 295 was their, their average because they're normally, you know, 310, 315. And the defensive line as well, they wanted uh, those guys to gain more weight. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure what that says. Uh, Sometimes you hope if a guy puts on weight, he gets he's better. So we'll see. So let's transition to defense. And, you know, one good thing for the offensive line is during fall camp, they were certainly challenged by Oregon's defensive line, which returns all three starters. Of course, the headliner there is All-American Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, you have Jordan Scott. He's a guy, when I talked to at the Rose Bowl, I didn't think he would be coming back. He was a senior. I mean, excuse me, a junior, but he had graduated. He had won the Pac-12 championship. He had pretty much checked all of his bucket list items off at Oregon, but he comes back because uh, I think he thinks there's some things he really needs to work on, especially rushing the passer from the middle of the defense. Uh, so that's good for Oregon. That's a good place to start. He's a first-team preseason All-Pac-12 guy. And then Austin Faldu, same thing, a guy who's played so many snaps already. Uh, Mays Funa from the edge is uh, kind of an exciting player. Uh, Adrian Jackson is healthy now. They think he can really be a terror in the backfield. Uh, obviously, they lose the heart and soul, Ken, and, and Troy Dye in the middle of the defense. But <clears throat> Isaac Slade certainly has a lot of experience. Drew Mathis is a senior who they rave about his leadership skills. And then the two highest ranked inside linebacker prospects in the country in uh, uh, Noah Sewell and, and Justin Flo, this front seven could be really good. That's right. And the thing I, I found interesting is Noah Sewell is going to start the game, whether the Ducks are on offense or defense, because he's on the kickoff team. And he's on the kickoff return team. And I would say if I'm the other team, I would hope that the Oregon kicker kicks it out of the end zone so I don't have to try to block Sewell. So uh, the secondary, it has stockpiled a lot of talent, but they're going to need it. You know, as we mentioned, Drew Br uh, Brady Breeze is gone. Uh, Thomas Graham is gone. Javon Holland is gone. Diamondo Lenore comes back, ops back in. Uh, you have Ron McKinley. You have 
a bunch of young guys, DJ James, that they're really high on, but they need to go out and, and prove it. Mikhail Wright as well. I, I think that really the, the two guys they lost, Javon Holland, absolutely a top-level Pac-12 player as a sophomore. He was definitely a guy who, who could be playing in pro football right now. Brady Breeze, I'm not so sure, is a surefire uh, pro prospect, but he just had a knack of being around the ball, intercepting passes, blocking kicks, making key tackles. He, there's just something about him that he was a great football player. And he, uh, you know, when uh, Pickett was uh, set down for uh, uh, the uh, targeting deal that allowed uh, Breeze to start, shoot, he intercepts a pass for a touchdown. And um, from that time on, Oregon's secondary was a lot better. It, it, was, it was more, let's say, explosive, if, if I could use that. They made a lot of big plays. And I think that's going to be something that, that as talented as these kids are coming up, we'll see who might be the guy to replace that. And it might be the Jordan uh, Happel, who's the uh, a transfer from Boise State, who was coached by coordinator Andy Avalos uh, before Andy came to uh, Oregon. So um, he may be the guy who is going to be the new Brady Breeze, but uh, Brady Breeze really made that defense uh, come together in, they call it in the back end. But I, I think he's, his, his ability to make plays is going to be hard to replace. Yeah, if Thibodeau has improved as much as he said he, he thinks he has, uh, and then you couple that with maybe an Adrian Jackson getting pressure, these guys might not have to you know, guard their man for more than two seconds. We'll see. Uh, two, Famous three seconds. Uh, we shall see. But if they can have a monster pass rush, obviously that really helps. And I think they might have that. I think so. And um, Andy Avalos will do a lot of different things to get a pass rush. In the Rose Bowl, there was a situation. It was a passing situation. And he brought in Thibodeau as nose man to play opposite the All-American center from Wisconsin, who was a good center. But he's used to blocking a certain kind of nose guard, not a Kayvon Thibodeau. And Thibodeau beat him so like a, a rented mule. And uh, I think there ended up being an interception as a result of it. So you don't expect a defensive end to be playing nose guard. He moves guys around to really take advantage of what they can do in certain situations. And that, I think that causes a lot of uh, problems for offensive coaches because as they watch films, they'll say, well, why is Thibodeau there? And they, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what Oregon's trying to do there, knowing that maybe the game they play you, he's going to be somewhere else. So he's, uh, uh, and I think there's some other young guys that are the same kind of athletic ability, quickness and so on, that, you know, the thing that, that, that has changed with Oregon defense. And if you can recall when Troy uh, Dye was a um, freshman, he was all over the, the field and he stood out. And then one of the reasons he stood out is that Oregon didn't have very many good defensive players. He had to make all the tackles. Last year, he stood out some, but not all the time. And not because he wasn't playing great. It was because Oregon had so many other players who were capable of making big plays. I mean, you just think of the, the last two plays in the Husky victory last year. Um, Popo uh, Almove 
makes a big sack, and then the freshman uh, corner, uh, Mikhail Wright, knocks down the pass. I mean, shoot, those guys are, are you know, other guys, and the other guys have gotten a lot better. Oregon's – it's so cool to, to see Oregon with a, a defense that is more than just respected. It's explosive. You mentioned Thibodeau at, at nose tackle. Uh, currently on their depth chart, they list him – depending on which defense they're in, has the starter either at defensive tackle or Sam linebacker. Kind of explain to our listeners, you know, how those different spots, how that utilizes his versatility. Well, the one thing about outside linebackers, which are a lot of teams, it's the same thing as a defensive end, is they, they need to be good enough athletes to drop back and cover, and particularly cover a back out of the backfield on a um, circle route. You see more and more of this where teams try to isolate a running back on an outside or inside linebacker. And, and the thing about Thibodeau is he can run with anybody. He can cover uh, somebody as good as a, a strong safety or defensive back, but he's also a pass rusher. And the Sam... Uh, player needs to be able to to fend off a tight end's attempted block on the line of scrimmage. He needs to be able to rush the passer and do stunts with uh, uh, an inside uh, interior defensive lineman. He also needs to be able to drop back and cover. So they they really have to be versatile. And as such, your best athletes are are going to end up gravitating to that. And a lot of times you try to line them up to where it's a tackle, offensive tackle, trying to block them. And in, in that way, you have the slowest athlete on offense trying to block the best athlete maybe on the whole football team. So uh, that, that creates problems for uh, pass protection. And uh, w- when you have to double up on somebody, you make it a little easier for other guys down the line to make plays. So before we get into the Stanford matchup, let's uh, take a look around the Pac-12 a little bit. We already mentioned, unfortunately, the UW-Cal game is off. Won't be made up either. Uh, As you mentioned, no margin for error. So that error is costly. Let's start with 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Saturday. Big noon kickoff on the East Coast. Uh, Arizona State at USC. These are probably the two best teams in the South. That's the way they were projected. I think this could be a great game. What do you think about this one? Uh, well, I do too. And uh, two observations. One is I heard that SC was double-digit favorites, which that, that could, that's got to be a misprint. Second of all, uh, a 9 o'clock kickoff in the West, players actually do that usually in the spring, you know, Saturday scrimmages, they'll, they'll get up and be there early. So um, I think that uh, when uh, Leach was at Washington State and they were floating the idea, he was saying, well, then our pregame has to be at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad, but it's a, a novel approach. Personally, as someone who hates night games, the, obs- the idea of getting – your game over with by noon or one o'clock, which allows you maybe to have a life or in your case, get your story in by deadline before the deadline. I think that's, that's interesting. And I hope that it works out. Yeah. If it were up to the media, every game would be in 9am. <laughs> I mean, I understand why Oregon doesn't want to do it in terms of that would be 
bad for the fan base. You know, a lot of them drive from Portland. Obviously, that's way too early. But without fans this year, I don't understand why they didn't raise their hand for one of those. Well, I agree. And the thing about sports writers is they're usually just getting in at 9 uh, a.m. Yeah, exactly. So, hey. We'd be feeling good. Yeah, get a Bloody Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that would actually make the print – deadline for the register guard if it's 9 a.m. <laughs> It'd be like the old days. Uh, so you like USC or Arizona State? I kind of like USC to win just because they have so much talent. I know we say that every year, but Slovis looks like the real deal. Both their receivers are the, you know, first team all Pac-12 preseason guys. Their left tackle opted back in. He's probably a first round pick. And they have some really good linebackers, too. Uh, I like USC just because they've, they've talked so much. They begged their governor to let them play. And it's a big deal for, for Clay Helton to get off the hot seat and win the South. But I also remember Jaden Daniels slaying Oregon and knocking the Ducks out of the playoff last year. I think he's very special, too. I just think uh, they lost quite a bit of skill and uh, lost their defensive coordinator. Now they have some NFL guys running it. But uh, I like USC in a close one. Well, I like Arizona State. And mm-hmm. um, whether it's close or a runaway, I don't really care. I, I think the key is uh, Herm Edwards, the, uh, the coach. It, he, you know, when he first got in there, everyone said, What's, this guy's coming from the pros. He hasn't coached in college for a while. How's he going to recruit? The Ducks found out right away that he, how well he could recruit with freshman uh, receivers. And then um, uh, Jaden uh, Daniels. Daniels Spectacular. is as good a quarterback as yeah. was in the league. And I'd match him up against the guy at SC. Um, is the game in Los Angeles? Of course, yeah. it doesn't matter. Everywhere it's empty. Right. So there, if, I don't know the uh, home uh, advantage other than uh, you're just sleeping closer to your, your regular bed. But um, I think uh, Arizona State is uh, – Edwards done a really good job, and he gets those team he, – he has done stuff with his players that Helton has not yet. Helton, uh, when he was uh, hired, the, the team cheered and so on, but there have been times that you watch him on the sidelines and you got players arguing with each other. That's never a good thing. And part of that is they get such high-profile personalities – you know, they think they're all pros, and I, I think that's the one thing that's really hurt Helton is that, I mean, and he's a great guy, but it's not transferred into a real disciplined, hard-nosed team. And if you talk to people who know the SC program, they are really down on the defense. And uh, when they played Iowa last year in the bowl game, the observation, one of the, the uh, observ- observ- observers said, they had watched Iowa practice every day and Iowa practiced tackling every day. And he said he saw SC practice every day and they hardly ever tackled in practice. So the end result was that's what the way it looked like on a field. So they got to, Helton has got to get them to be a tougher group. They're talented enough, but tough and tougher and disciplined is uh, the way they get, they, they got to go to make you the, uh, the pundit of the year. Well, that'll be interesting. Obviously, those two teams would have come to Autzen with the original schedule. Now, 
<clears throat> they will not play the Ducks unless it's in the title game. Let's move to Salt Lake City, Arizona at Utah. I think uh, don't have to talk a lot about this one. I think Arizona is a disaster. I think Kevin Sumlin in Tucson is a disaster. Kyle Winningham loses everything. Doesn't matter. He'll reload. Utah will crush Arizona. Your thoughts? I I would I would second <laughs> that. Uh, surely, yeah. He, I mean, Kyle Whittingham, you know his team is going to be tough. And the last couple of years, they've gotten a lot better offensively. And so to have that go along with their uh, – uh, tough defense. They they they're a, a real solid team. Uh, UCLA at Colorado. It's the Carl Durrell Bowl, I guess. He used to be UCLA's coach a long time ago. He's been in the NFL. Uh, Mel Tucker bailed on Colorado in an even worse fashion than Willie Taggart bailed on Oregon so late in the year after recruiting. It's just a tough deal for the Buffaloes. They don't. Uh, they can't seem to catch a break since joining the Pac-12. Chip Kelly better win this one. That's all I'm saying. Well, I, he, he, he should. But there again, he's got a quarterback who it can be kind of flighty at times too. Certainly somebody with a lot of ability. But when you've got a player's dad ripping the head coach on Facebook, that's not good. And that's been kind of the situation. A little bit like – those uh, UCLA basketball players a couple of years ago whose father was, uh, you know, getting a lot of camera time, and they ended up... Uh, You're I talking think. about LeVar Ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Dorian Thompson Robinson's dad's is as loud as LeVar Ball, but, you know, that, I think that was during his freshman year maybe. Uh, the thing about the Bruins is they played so many freshmen and sophomores the last two years this is the year where it better start paying off because obviously the Chip Kelly Oregon era is a distant memory at this point and the Bruins need to do something. Uh, If they can't beat the Buffaloes, it's going to be another long year, even though it's a short year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Finally, uh, Wazoo, your old school, your old uh, stomping grounds, but Nick Rolovich has to start his uh, tenure up in Corvallis as the Cougars face Oregon State, Jonathan Smith's third year. I thought the Beavers made a lot of strides last year. They won four Pac-12 games. Uh, The Oregon game was not as lopsided as Oregon fans would have liked. Um, I would have to lean heavy towards Oregon State to beat Washington State on Saturday night, Pac-12 way after dark. I, I would agree. I think uh, Jonathan is on the cusp of, of getting a couple upsets along the way. And he, every, the guy he looks at in the mirror every, every morning when he gets up is the guy who kept them out of a bowl game last year with his, uh, his crazy play choice on fourth and uh, short against Washington State around mid, mid, uh, midfield with, uh, you know, just enough time for the Cougs to score as the game ended to, to, uh, you know, knock the, the Beavers out of a bowl. And so uh, I don't think he'll make that mistake, mistake again. Interesting, Washington State is starting a quarterback, a freshman quarterback from uh, Hawaii. Yeah. And as you know, uh, the, the Washington State's coach is from Hawaii, has a real strong lineage with the, uh, the island. And I'm, I'm sure he will 
keep getting some attract some good uh, talent there because he's the kind of coach that players want to play for. You know that uh, he, I, I think that he would his personality would be much more engaging than Mike Leach's. That uh, um, you know you might be intrigued about playing for Leach, but you might be excited about playing with Rolovich. Yeah, Nick Rolovich uh, has the personality that uh, Leach had in his sound bites, uh, but he has it all the time. He's a great guy. Uh, Leach can be a little prickly when he's off camera. Um, Rolovich, just to date myself a little bit, he had a cup of coffee with the Denver Broncos when I was covering the Broncos after he put up a bunch of crazy statistics in Hawaii's run and shoot offense, which is, you know, that's where he gets this run and shoot offense um, from his background at Hawaii. And uh, the air raid is gone, but the run and shoot is going to put up a lot of points as well. And uh, I just think it'll, it'll take him and his, and his quarterback a while to get, get some traction in the PAC 12 with all the other coaches being more established in the North, other than Washington's coach. so that's kind of the weekend ahead. Uh, let's take a look at Oregon Stanford. Um, two year Mario Cristobal's thirteen and one in home games as Oregon's head coach, but we all know that one loss was the thirty eight thirty one debacle against Stanford, where uh, C.J. Verdell had you know a key fumble. There were other key miscues in that one. Uh, ancient history, but uh, still so- something that I'm sure. Mario and CJ and others uh, think about once in a while. Well, uh, yeah, it's hard to to forget the 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 fumble that went three feet over the outstretched hands of a six six quarterback over his head, and Stanford picked it up and scored. I mean, it, and it, it just it cut the 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 heart out of the Ducks and the crowd. I mean, it just and uh, it, it was terrible because up to that point, the Ducks were. Uh, they had their total way with Stanford. And that's the thing, you know, David Shaw is a tough, hard-nosed guy. And uh, he, he made the big change uh, when he took over at Stanford. He's now the winningest coach in their history. Uh, he's won in 10 years more games than the, the, the guy who has the second amount of wins won in 15 years. So, um, well, actually a succession of coaches in, in 15 years. So, uh, very big, strong. The thing that's interesting is that he calls it intellectual uh, brutality. Yeah. yeah, brutality, physicality, all that. So he's like Cristobal. In uh, you know, if it turned out that Cristobal and uh, David Shaw had to meet at midfield to fight it out with padded sticks, it'd be a, a pretty rough fight, I think. Yeah, but last year, Andy Avalos comes in and Oregon smothered Stanford 21-6 to to get the win on the road in the Pac-12 opener last year. That set the tone for Oregon. They went undefeated in the North, uh, won the Pac-12 championship ultimately, while Stanford slid back to 4-8, first losing record Shaw's ever had at Stanford. Um, I don't know. I know Stanford will will be much better than last year, but they had trouble getting on the practice field more than most teams with the tight restrictions in the Bay Area. They had some key opt-outs as well. Their star left tackle, their star cornerback. Um, Costello is with Leach and Mississippi State, but I don't think uh, 
that's a bad thing for Stanford. Davis Mills kind of established himself as the quarterback last year. Uh, former five-star recruit, six-foot-five guy. Certainly looks the part. I think it'll be a, a decent game, but I think Oregon's talent, especially what you talked about where they both coaches love it up front, I think favors Oregon in this one. I do too. And uh, the the thing that really hurt Stanford the last two years is uh, when Love got hurt and they lost his his running ability. And then the, the last year, they, they, they could not run the ball well at all. And that's not typical of Stanford, but that's really uh, your way of beating them is don't let them uh, run up and down the field on, on you and, and make them have to take some chances and throw the ball around. And, you know, I think Oregon's got some guys that are going to be able to def- rush the passer and defend the pass. That's the, it's running, being able to run the ball on offense and stop the run on defense is still the mantra of every defensive coach around you talk to them and say what's the important things they say that every time and so the ducks need to uh keep stanford under 150 and it'd be good for them to get more than 150 uh rushing so let that if that happens then i think the ducks would prevail well it's at 4 30 saturday Autzen stadium abc fans aren't allowed in um <clears throat> some media is allowed in um, <laughs> if you're still listening to this podcast, obviously you're a loyalist. So, uh, you know, it's been a rough go for the register guard and ter- during COVID and just the newspaper industry in general, over the last decade, we've lost Steve Mims. He has gotten a real job, quote unquote, um, to, you know, uh, the year before we lost Austin Meek. So it'll be uh, Chris Hansen and myself holding down the fort at Autzen. We'll have tons of coverage at registerguard.com before, during, and after the game. And Woody, that's going to include your online pros. I know you have a nice following in Eugene. Um, Give them a shout out because we need the clicks, buddy. Really, and uh, I'll be doing my best to boost the the team on the pregame on KUGN Radio with uh, Tannenbaum, and then afterwards uh, we talk about it as well. I would like you and uh, Hanson to wear black armbands in the press box. And don't tell anybody why you're doing it, but when they do it, just say it's because Woody's not with us. Will do. Um, (laughs) You know, 2020 is a strange year. I look forward to uh, getting through it and actually covering some football, but let's hope in 2021 – uh, I don't remember who they open with. It doesn't matter, but uh, let's hope there's 50,000 fans there and you're there and, uh, and we're all uh, back to normal. But uh, for now, let's plow on and try to have some fun. Um, we're recording this podcast in a different way. We're not in the plush register guard studios. We're locked out of there too. So uh, I'm sure our, our uh, tech will get better at this as time goes on, but uh Thanks for listening, and we look forward to uh, the season. Uh, Six games plus championship weekend, plus maybe a bowl, maybe the playoff. We don't know, but thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.